Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can give your customers a better buying experience, more customized, with greater peace of mind, and maybe most importantly, how you and your organization can benefit and create a new stream of revenue by partnering with Booking Protect, visit them at their website. That is www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. While you're there, make sure that you continue, even bookmark their blog. We are putting together some really great new content for you there. Uh, there is currently an ebook built around offering customer services in a digital age. We have a new one coming out in a couple weeks that's going to be all about managing the bottom of the sales funnel. There's tons of content about trends, uh, using data property uh, properly, offering better customer service, all kinds of really, really great stuff that will help you generate more revenue for your organization. And you'll also find that at bookingprotect.com. So once again, make sure you're visiting www.bookingprotect.com. Uh, make sure you connect with me, connect with Kat, connect with Simon, Kath, everybody. It's great. Today, this will be the second episode that I drop. Uh, it is the one-year anniversary of the Business of Fun podcast. Um, I want to take a second while I'm on the subject to thank you all for listening. If you could do me one favor, <laughs> first I start with a favor, right? Because I couldn't do it without you. If you've listened to this episode or any of the episodes and you found it valuable, I'd love it if you take a moment to just share it with a friend or colleague or someone you think that would benefit from this thing. Um, one of the great things about this podcast is the um, ability that I've had to connect with people, to learn from people, to continue to develop myself. Um, it's also been incredibly rewarding to have all of the, you that are listeners email me, text me, tweet me, send me Facebook or LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever messages. Uh, show me that you're listening to the podcast when you are um, at a conference. I mean, it's just been a truly uh, rewarding experience. As we roll into year two of the podcast, I want to take it to another level. Um, so I really uh, look forward to your suggestions and your ideas on how to continue to improve the podcast, uh, to how we can continue to create more value through the podcast for you as a listener, as somebody who pays attention to me. Um, you know, but before uh, or aside from all that, you know, it's just been really a great opportunity to talk to people, to um, learn, like I said before. Um, and I just wanted to take a second to, before I introduce the guest, to say thank you for listening and thank you for paying attention. And I really do cherish the opportunity to talk with the people I talk to and share that with you. So thank you again. Um, and if you have questions, I think I'm going to try to do one Ask Me Anything podcast or some kind of first anniversary celebration. Um, if you're interested in contributing a question, you have an idea that you wanted to get across, anything like that, send me an email, dave at davewakeman.com. And um, I'm going to work to put that together at some point this week before the holiday. My guest today, though, back to business, is Aaron Holland. He's the CEO of Season Share, 
Uh, he was introduced to me by multiple-time podcast guest Brett Zalaski, and we had a really great conversation because I think Season Share is a fantastic tool for people. It really offers you the opportunity to sh- buy a full-season ticket and share it with your friends. Um, I know that this has kind of been something that's been teased around and played with in the past, but I think what Season Share and Aaron have put together is really unique. Um, we had a great conversation. We talked about maintaining and protecting the value of a season ticket. We talked about um, fan development, customer, de- customer development, uh, marketing to different generations. Um, we talked about millennials versus baby boomers. We talked about a ton of stuff. It was really great, and I really want everybody to check out this product because I think it's going to be helpful in whatever comes next in ticketing. And to reinvigorate the life cycle and the value of a season ticket by giving people the greater ability to customize it, um, a greater ability to um, invest in the season ticket in a meaningful way. Um, And I think it really provides an opportunity for a lot of new conversations to take place around selling tickets, especially um, in sports like baseball or basketball or hockey where the season is much, much longer and there's a lot more games for a season ticket holder to have to uh, use or figure out what to do with. So here's my conversation with Aaron Holland on the business of fun. I want to welcome Aaron Holland, the CEO of Season Share to the Business of Fun podcast. Aaron, how's it going? Great. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Oh, no, this is super exciting. So I want to thank you for doing this because I think that season share is something that really, really people should be paying a lot of attention to. Um, you know, it, it helps add value to the season ticket. Um, it helps encourage people to buy tickets early and often. Um, you know, it's like a lot of great stuff. But don't let me sell you. Why don't you sell us by telling us a little bit about what season share is up to? Yeah, sure. Well, I, you know, I won't sell you too much, but I'll definitely give you some background on who we are, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. Um, you know, in 2015, I was splitting season tickets with several friends here in Los Angeles. Um, we lost a share partner, and the Clippers lost our account. And that's something we've heard, you know, quite frequently now from other people in the business: is when you lose a share partner, you lose an account. This is happening. Um, you know, so that was kind of the the, the genesis of the product, if you will. Uh, we sat down actually at Kobe's last game. Uh, we were watching the game at a bar. And um, just thinking through, you know, all the problems and opportunities around the season ticket. You know, we've we've seen innovation in the last minute space. Uh, we've seen innovation, uh, really a lot of innovation in the group ticketing space. But that hasn't really translated into a product that, um, you know, makes really almost unbundles the season ticket, making it more affordable and available without compromising the integrity of the full season ticket plan. So this is, again, you know, this is about two years ago. So we kind of got the business together, got the people together, started working on it. And anyone in ticketing knows, you know, um, it's it's a it is a tough space to innovate in, but it's it's definitely rewarding and, you know, exciting space to be in as well. Yeah. So I didn't even this is something I didn't even know that you it was the Clippers season ticket that got you thinking about this. That's like pretty awesome because. You know, it's like the Clippers have you as a season ticket holder and Bill Simmons. So, like, you got like all these great people who are season ticket holders for the um, for the Clippers. Um, and what you talked about though is interesting, right? Which is like, there's a lot of innovation in groups, and there's a lot of innovation in last minute tickets. 
I have, find some of the innovations that go on in the last minute tickets kind of problematic because often it helps create a incentive for people to wait longer and longer and longer. You talked about unbundling the season ticket in a way that helps maintain integrity. I don't know if you said in your answer, this is coming from what we talked about before, but I love that idea, right? Because one of the things is, is that we need to encourage people to buy early. Um, when you're talking about unbundling the season ticket and making sure that the share partners have the opportunity to work together more um, completely, more holistically, describe the process from your point of view. Sure. So um, we found that up to 70% of season ticket holders are sharing their tickets with someone else. Um, you know, and it's really different from team to team and from fan to fan. But you know, with the new tax laws, with more um, you know, just pull on the entertainment dollar, especially in a market like Los Angeles, share partners are they're not going anywhere. But teams have a really hard time understanding who the share partners are, even with digital ticketing. So what our product does is we work for both new season ticket sales as well as existing season ticket. Uh, holders, like on the service side, uh, through our platform, you can go on and discover available inventory, uh, just like really just like the look and feel and experience as if you were shopping for single game ticket inventory, but at the plan level. So you go on, you discover available inventory, only pay for your portion of the season ticket. We do half, third and quarter season ticket splits. We don't do any weird or obscure fractions. So um, you pay again, only for your portion of the ticket. And then I would send, say, you, Dave, an invite. You download the app. You input your group code. At that point, uh, the team or, or we pulled your data down so that the teams have that understanding of who the share partner is. Uh, very, you know, bring that visibility to the share partner into the CRM. Again, you only pay for your portion of the season ticket. So we're, you know, solving that upfront cost investment that really hinders a lot of younger buyers from participating in the season ticket environment, as well as that ongoing utilization risk of having to, you know, figure out what you're doing with 40, 80 games every season that you don't go to. So um, that's, that's the product on the new sales side. On the retention side, if you own an existing season ticket, uh, you can log into our app, upload the season ticket into the system, and then send out group invites. So these are all people within your contact list. We are working on a variation of the product um, for public groups, uh, and we're excited about the potential there as well. No, that's great because, and you said, you mentioned the CRM, right? And my question is, because I'll go on record and say, I think that this is something that people should offer everywhere, right? This is just a great idea. When, Thank you. When, well, <laughs> again, I'm not trying to sell. I just really like the product. Is um, But when you talk about CRM, does the does the data do you share that with the teams that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the team, you know, we don't just share it with the teams we work with, but they have full ownership of their data. So it's where they want it, how they want it, when they want it. It's just, you know, we're we're providing either data fed directly into Salesforce or we're providing um you know, batch imported data that they can pull into, you know, Dynamics or whatever their platform may be. But what we're seeing on our app Dave is uh, 80% of our users are logging in with Facebook, which is just, um, I think it speaks to the targeting of the product for sure, first and foremost. But, you know, when a user logs in with Facebook, we can start to pull likes, location, birthday, demo. Um, and then, you know, 
where you're getting a rich and robust data profile above and beyond anything that's available in your in your backend system today. So um, yeah, that's that's really exciting how that's going to play and just provide value to teams. So to your, to your like to answer your question, teams have full ownership of their data through our platform. Uh, we don't charge any cost on the data. Again, it's just provided to the team as a value add for using our platform. And then, you know, very much like an abandoned shopping cart on our platform, we can actually provide leads to the team, uh, whether the user buys or not. So we can see a user, who they are, where they are, what they're looking at. And then we can provide that data to the, you know, internally to the team uh, to go and run with it. So our product is positioned to be complementary to the team's ex- existing sales cycle, meaning, you know, every team we work with, it, it's rolled out a bit differently, Right. So with some of our teams, they like to, you know, just look at the new sales side and leave the service to the service reps. And that's totally fine for us. So what we do in those scenarios is we roll out um, like a, an email to all the single game ticket buyers and say, look, choose your own, you know, 5, 10, 20 game season ticket package starting at a much lower price point, uh, really repackaging and re, you know, presenting the season ticket to a younger demographic. And you know, what we know about season tickets is they've been packaged for baby boomers. Baby boomers like consistency of product. You know, they like uh, an elite uh, experience. They really like that personalized touch. But it couldn't be more different with millennials and younger consumers. Like millennials will not get on the phone to talk to a sales rep. And, sell. you know, there's a lot of teams in the U.S. where you still can't buy a multi-game ticket package without talking to a sales rep. So what our product does is it repackages the season ticket to be more affordable and available to younger demographics while providing data on both sides of the transaction, you know, both before which inventory they're discovering and then after uh, like where the share partners are, who they are and how those tickets are being used. Yeah. And and if I'm going to just make like a, a, you know, run with your idea, it's going to probably likely to, if you share the, ticket with somebody else, it's going to increase the likelihood that people are going to use those tickets, which is going to make your stadium look better on TV. You're going to have people who are going to spend money at concessions and in the, you know, in the team store a lot more regularly. It's got a lot of leg room, a lot of room to work. And what I really also liked was the way you talked about the CRM importing the data from Facebook because 80% of the people are logging in via Facebook. Um, Because one of the challenges I know from talking to people often when they have a partner like this is that the data, they don't know how to take action with it. So if you're giving them, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, by giving them access to a richer data set, you're helping them take more relevant and better action or just take action, period, because they have just more things to to use when they talk to somebody, except for the fact that, like, I saw that you bought tickets to X game three weeks ago. Would you like to buy some more? Which is how a lot of those conversations go. And I don't, you know, I think they put the sales reps at a disadvantage. Well, let's, we, we can talk about that for a minute. Um, it, it, I guess momentarily, let's talk about sales reps and the disadvantages that are inherent to that job. But, you know, what, what our product does, you know, backing into that on the data side is we really widen the net around renewability. So with our product, you don't just have one primary point of contact on the account. You have two, three, four primary points of contact. So now when you lose that share partner, you're that much more likely not to lose that account. Uh, the other thing we do is we allow teams to, to you know, provide a suite of services 
to walk fans up the ladder, right? Someone who went to two games last year isn't going to buy an 81 game package. You know, so with while still preserving the integrity of the full season ticket plan, we can say, look, come into this package with a couple of your friends. You know, these are friends, family, uh, coworkers, neighbors. Um, bring them into a season ticket package. The team gets all the data around who those share partners are. And then you have at the end of the year, again, multiple points of contact around renewability. And you get to understand how that ticket package is used throughout the season. So, um, again, we aim to be completely complementary to the team's existing sales cycle. And that's both on our business model, but as well as the way we've kind of structured ourselves on data. Um, And then, you know, I I do want to talk about the inherent disadvantages that the sales reps have right now. I mean, it's, it's a tough job. It really is a tough job. You're either selling distressed inventory or you're selling, you know, high price point premium inventory. There's never a, it's never a walk on easy street being a sales rep. And it's, you know, I, I think um, it's just a, it's a tough, tough job to be on the phone every day selling. And what we've heard, especially from mid-market size teams, is that they're, they're hitting the same leads. After, after a year or two, especially on the B2B side, you're hitting the same leads over and over again. And you're extinguishing that, that, you know, that list. So that's really where our product is positioned, um, especially in the small to mid-market you know, these teams that can't have a hundred plus sales reps, we really come in and try to position ourselves as complimentary there. Yeah, no, I, I think that the idea is great. I mean, because I do understand, um, be, you know, because over time I've developed the reputation of being extremely customer focused and I've received text messages of people's screens that have 25 calls in one week from the same number, which is a team and it burns the opportunity for you really ever to do business with that person. Um, but that's sort of the environment that the kids are put into often. Um, you know, so it's, that's a real, a real point of contention. And I think that, um, I only highlight that because I don't know that that message is always getting through because either people aren't paying attention to it or they just are missing that that's really, really happening. And it, you know, it's a bad, it's a bad idea. Um, but one of the other ideas too, that like you bring up, and I know it's like something that you've talked about extensively is what the fan of the future looks like. Cause we kind of have so far talked about everything as far as where it is now. Um, and talking about where things are going is really, really interesting to me because you've designed season share in a way that it's going to be flexible and adapt and it's going to adapt to the changing way that people consume things. You talked about baby boomers before and you talked about millennials now. And then we know as much as it's probably makes little to no sense to break people down into big clumps like that. We have another generation of kids right behind the, the millennials now and their consumption patterns are entirely different. Um, can you share with us a little bit about how you define the concept of the future of the fan and what you see as some of the trends and some of the things that are going to impact ticket sales going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is an area that I'm so excited about, so passionate about. Uh, But, you know, the reality is, is consumers are expecting really sophisticated levels of personalization, very much like Amazon and Netflix. But that hasn't, that, that user experience has not translated into sports. So kids are turning to Fortnite, adults are turning to Netflix and fans are just not as loyal as they once were. So what this is doing is creating a lot of pressure on the rep, but also on the team. So, you know, technology is no longer really a novelty. It really is a necessity uh, for teams. And I, I, uh, 
I moderated a panel last year. I guess it was you know this last South by Southwest uh, called the future of the season ticket. And we really spent some time unpacking the narrative that the season ticket's dead. And there's, you know, some key takeaways from that discussion were, one, the season ticket's alive and well. You know, it still remains the backbone of sports and attendance. But two, you know, it's more important than ever for teams to create a customized mix of service and technology that works for their buyer and market. And one of the things we see is, like, Team A over here uh, on the West Coast is looking to Team B over uh, you know, in the Midwest or East Coast for best practices on what they're doing. And the reality is you know, the consumer, the future of the fan, the future of the consumer that's going to drive this economy and business forward is so different from market to market. It's so different from team to team, even within the same market. So you know, we talk to a lot of sales managers who really feel like their job is to prevent risk. And when you think about the way consumption behaviors changed, you know, it's not so much the, the manager's job to prevent risk, but to create an environment where it's safe to take risks. And with all the changing, you know, consumer behavior across the board from millennial to Gen Z, all the downward pressure, you know, it's never been easier for fans to stay in home and consume sports or entertainment. You know, these, this is creating an environment where risks need to be taken. And like another thing we see often is that the average season ticket holder is 45 to 55 years old. You know, just stop and think about that for a minute. If, if the average moviegoer was 45 to 55 years old, it would really be concerning for studios. I think that people would really be losing sleep on those factors. So, you know, this, the, the today's season ticket holder and that age and demo is not going to carry the fan or it's not going to carry the industry forward. So we really look at, you know, what's going to happen next. And I think it's, you know, providing, again, a, a mix of technology and service to meet the consumer where they are in your market and try to provide, um, you know, a user experience with what they're getting elsewhere. Yeah, I, I like the way you explain it. And one thing that you brought up that was interesting to me was you talked to sales managers and their their idea of their job is that they should be preventing risk. And you said it yourself, and I'm going to reinforce this here, is that you can't <laughs> avoid risk at this point, right? Because yes. to me, doing things the same way you've always done, that's the risk, right? Because the thing is, is like you can see it. It's not working as well, right? You know, it's like all these ad agencies that just think that, the way that we're going to overcome, you know, people avoiding our ads is by throwing more at them. That's a risky proposition. It's the same thing yeah. here. It's, um, you know, so how do you, in your conversations, get people to overcome this risk aversion and help them understand that not taking a risk is the risky move? Yeah, it's the ultimate risk. It's not taking a risk. You know, stagnation will lead to. Um, just overall complacency. But, you know, I, I wish I had an easy answer there for you, Dave. I really don't. It's something we work through and it's something we work with uh, every day. You know, what we have done is align ourselves with, you know, future focused teams like the San Francisco 49ers, like the Oregon Ducks, who are interested in the future of the, uh, of the fan. You know, they're really concerned about making business decisions today that they'll feel good about in three or four years down the road. You know, and that comes into the way venues are constructed. That's the way technology blends with service. 
you know, that's just the way that, you know, even offerings are communicated into the marketplace. We've been lucky and fortunate to align ourselves with great teams out of the gate. But moving forward, you know, it's it, it, it is a constraint for us. We do, you know, continually look for teams that are willing to take risks. And uh, internally, we try to de-risk the business as much as we can. So our business is no cost upfront for teams. We are not a one size fits all approach. So we get, we talk to you, we learn your market, we learn about your consumer, we learn about your dynamics and all that stuff, and then try to present um, a component or components of our product that work to fit a specific isolated use case. What we don't do is come in and say, look, we're going to you know redefine your entire organization out of the gate. That doesn't work. And frankly, we've had to learn that the hard way. But at the same time, uh, it, we are learning and things are going well, but we really look at, you know, a, a lot of the, just, the, just overall the changing behavior. And although there's never been like, I guess, uh, more downward pressure, uh, it's still a great time to be in sports because the way and the impact that social media and technology is having on our buyer, on our business, it is opening up opportunities and smart teams, you know, like we feel the 49ers in Oregon are just our beta partners are understanding the constraints of the traditional business model and also that shift in consumer preference. So, you know, one of the things we look at a lot is, you know, um, the, the success the A's have had with their access pass. You know, there's a really great story there. And I was just in Oakland last week and, you know, there's some good and some bad. But what they've done is I think the demand environment has created a an opportunity for them to look at that risk, take a risk. And it's cool to see how they packaged and presented it to the, to the, to the buyer. And it's also inversely really cool to see the buyer really picking up what they're putting down. And again, it's, it's a two-sided equation. So I went to the A's game last week and it was really awesome to hang out in their treehouse area. It's, it's really cool what they've done there. And, you know, they're talking about redesigning their next venue, their future venue, with a lot more standing room and a lot less fixed inventory. Um, so on the, but on the flip side of that, you know, I was there uh, right after dark in the fourth or fifth inning and it wasn't a place I would feel comfortable taking my kids to watch a game. You know, I still think seats are very important and we do operate in a fixed inventory environment. You know, marginal costs can't be completely factored out of the equation ever. So, you know, as long as there's seats, as long as there's, um, you know, uh, seats in a stadium, there will always be this need for uh, technology and innovation around how to get people in the seats and how to provide a better understanding of fan attendance on game day to teams. And it's like, again, uh, back to the excitement around this time in sports is for every problem, there's an opportunity. And I guess, you know, long story short, just like you said, Dave, it's all about creating an environment where risk can be taken in a, a low risk, high reward environment, right? Find a way to put your foot in the water without diving in completely, you know, take a scientific approach, you know, create small experiments, learn from those experiments and iterate over time. That's what I really take my hat off to the A's for doing is just that, you know, at, at the um, conference that I was at, they're talking about A's access paths, 2.0, 3.0, 5.0, where they're going to be in five and seven years. And although I think, you know, there is going to be some risk around marginalizing or cannibalizing the season ticket base for a membership, you know, base. But what's so cool is that they took that risk and they're learning from it as they go. 
and they're really open to talking about it. So I, you know, I wish more teams were like that. And I think everyone can learn from what they're doing there. Yeah, that's um, the, the way you, you present it is probably similar to the way I feel. It's it's like there with it would risk, right? It's not all puppies and rainbows, right? And and by the same token, it's not all failure either. It's usually somewhere in the middle, and it's you know. So I've you know, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are sitting there um, willing to tear the idea down or. Um, you know, blindly applaud the idea. Um, I think that, you know, that you're right though. There's, there's a lot of stuff that like works and there's a lot of stuff that doesn't. The great thing is, is that they're talking about how to improve it. Right. Because like a lot of times if it's not a home run right away, people don't take it, you know, then it must've been a bust. And I was like, that's not really the case. Right. Because progress and, 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 you know, this is the great thing about tech, right? It's like, well, what do we learn? How can we improve it? So, what's what's version two point look like? And, you know, and then and this is why I'm like really excited to talking to you because that's the way you know you view everything about you know tickets and the you know season ticket and the experience is like well, it's here today, but how can we make it better? Because there's tremendous value, and you come to it from the background of somebody who has a technology, you know, that, you know, you, you describe yourself to me as all about AI and machine learning and everything. And I said, well, I'm like a little bit more bleeding heart, like on the sappy human side. Um, but it's great because you're always thinking about improving things. And that, and that's like really, really exciting to hear about. Um, and the, and the, the example of the A's is fantastic. Um, because again, they tried something that is very, very risky and, that they've had success with it and that they're talking about going deeper with it is really, um, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a tremendous highlight. Yeah. Us too. I mean, I've never met, you know, their senior leadership, but if I did, I would be really inclined to say thank you because it's, you know, created this, this narrative around innovation in the season ticket space, innovation around the membership model, you know, and it's a risk reward equation, meaning, you know, like, if you look at MoviePass, if you look at subscription-based ticketing, if you look, you know, there's there's key learnings that have happened over the last decade. And, you know, the A's are not the first people to introduce a subscription-based ticketing offering. You know, I was talking to Russ Stanley about the, at the Giants about this, and he did it five or six years ago. But there's been a lot of key learnings along the way. And what's so cool about the A's, this is what the insight we got while we were there, is number one, they're speaking about traditional sports, almost like a software business. And like you said, you know, I do come into this space much more from the tech side than the sports side, but sports, you know, even studying it in school, it's had a major, major impact on my life. It's something I've always wanted to come back to, but you know, teams specifically the A's who are using their venue as a Petri dish for what they're going to do in the future. There's just something that cannot be ignored there. It's so cool to see a team like who has just done exactly that, create an environment where risks can be taken. And that's around concessions, F&B. That's around consumption of the game. That's also around not consumption of the game, you know? And of course, you don't want to turn, you know, you don't want to marginalize or, or, you know, degrade the offering, the product that's on the field. And there is a conversation there that they, you know, potentially turn that too much into a bar, but look, hats off and tip of the hat to them for doing what they did. And it was really cool to see it in action and even more cool to just hear them talk about how they're looking at it. And uh, I think there's a lot uh, that all teams can learn from the A's. 
I think there's a lot that all teams can learn from software businesses, right? Even like Amazon, who will do things that don't scale just to get key learnings on any matter of subjects. Um, it's, it's a, again, back to what I was saying, just a really interesting, cool time uh, to be in sports. Well, you brought up a couple of interesting things, right? Which is the first thing, and this goes back a little bit in the conversation, was you're, you're talking about how fan, the fan, you know, the, the fan life cycle and not wanting to take your kid, maybe not take your, your child to the clubhouse after a certain time, right? Which is totally understandable. But, and what this highlights is this idea that there's fans are at a fixed point, right? There's a great book called Soccernomics. If nobody's, if you haven't, if you haven't read it, Aaron, I would suggest you read it. And if yeah, everybody hasn't read it is, um, but it talks about our fans really always like, solid in the way they support their team but and that's interesting or not interesting what happens though is it talks about how fans tastes and what they want from the game evolves over time like throughout their lives right so like if you're a young kid like my son's nine now he's really really super invested in sports right and then me i'm what 44 now so I'm not as not as invested except for everything except for Tottenham Hotspur, right? Like other than that, I don't necessarily pay much attention to most of the stuff, um, you know, just because I mean I got so much so many other things. That reality though is informative of the way you design your experience and you provide options for people to buy, right? Because the other example you brought up was like having more open spaces and offer, you know, maybe more standing things and having people do these things. My consumption habits of baseball when I was in my 20s was like, I didn't necessarily always care if I saw very much of the game. And so like you can't design your experience just for one person, right? You have to kind of design it for the whole thing because these aren't these venues and these events are for everybody. That's what makes them great, right? It's a big mixing place. And like, sometimes you'd want to watch every pitch. You don't want to miss a thing. And I think like what you highlight is that need to think more holistically about the experience. The other point that you brought up was how, oh yeah, but was like Amazon and how you, you, they, they do things that don't scale. And there's a great, another great book, second great book here for everybody, which is, this is marketing by a guy called Seth Godin. And, I realized after reading the book, what he said is really, really true. And it's this, it's that you learn to become a great marketer by being able to see what the world sees when they see you. Right. And and you don't do that by trying to use a spreadsheet or a big data set and impose learning from a big scale down on individuals. You learn by looking at the individual and then extrapolating that up to a larger scale. And that, that and, and so when you made that point, I thought that was really interesting, and I, and I wanted to really highlight that because it, in my experience, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we love Seth. My co-founder and CMO John and I have like a revolving discussion around his books, and he's just so smart, so ahead of his time, and so well spoken. I think you know, there's there's really a lot to learn from him. You know, to, to, I think the, the consumption behavior between you and your nine-year-old son, right? You're, you said your son's nine years old? Yeah, my son's nine. I'm not nine. So, <laughs> I wish. No, <laughs> Some no, no, no. So what, uh, what teams does he follow? Well, so if you, if you had to say what teams does he follow, he follows Tottenham Hotspur. Um, yep. And then he follows the University of Alabama football team. I, I went to Alabama. Everybody will know that. Um, but he follows 
everything. Um, he loves the Capitals. He loves the Miami Heat. He loves the Seattle Seahawks. He loves the Mets. You know, but then he d- loves everything about sports. And so he is like such a rabid consumer that it's like almost laughable in some cases. Yeah, I mean, this is a perfect crosscut of you and your son, right? The the baby boomer who you know consumes sports in a different way, where like sports are very much it's it's a bit expensive, it's exclusive, it's sitting by yourself in a suite, it's talking to the same person on the phone every time. It's really that consistency of experience. But look at your son. I mean, this is such a great example, Dave. Like, you know, it's very much he is a fluid fan following, you know, not just not just sports teams anymore, but players. And social media is really driving that consum- or that, you know, that consumer behavior. So, that's exactly what we're doing is making that season ticket more affordable and available. And what we know about millennials is they hate fees, very adverse to fees, right? So, that the the season tickets really tough to consume and then on the flip side of that um we also know millennials will not talk to people on the phone so you look at the consumption behavior between you and the consumption behavior of your son and it couldn't be really further apart i couldn't i really don't see it much being much further apart no so that's the well that's why i use the point because again like understanding that i am not my market it's very valuable for me to be able to see what is going on in the market. And that's like a really big point I think is missed in a lot of cases is that you assume because you interact with something in a certain way that that's the way everybody does. And that could not be further from the truth. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the reality that we're dealing with in sports now very much today is, you know, the people making the management decisions for these organizations are, are consuming products, goods, and services in a much, much different way than the future fan is. And, you know, fans through, especially through last-minute ticketing, uh, the, the fan loyalty is just not there anymore. And that's last-minute purchases as well as social media. You can be a fan of a team on the other side of the pond and just be uber-connected to what's going on, both at the team and player level. And it's really cool to see that. But what's not cool to see is, you know, expecting what worked for teams – a decade ago to work for the next decade. And it goes back to, like I said, that average season ticket holder age. If you had the same like demographic, 45 to 55 year old, uh, that the future of like any live entertainment business was being, you know, the, the foundation of any live entertainment business was 45 to 55 years old. There would be, a. uh, uh running around with your hair on fire moment for some of these organizations, especially in the traditional media space. So what you're seeing is, you know, smart teams, especially like Al Guido and the 49ers who are looking at their businesses, not as a sports team, but as a media and entertainment franchise that's global, but also, you know, it's just, this is the future of it. Kind of looking through a different lens at how you do things, why you do things and where it's all going and back to what I've said time and time again, it just it really couldn't be more exciting. But I think there is a wake up call coming to sports teams in the near future that when your 55 year old season ticket holder who's not no longer getting a tax break on those tickets, you know, moves edges closer to retirement, what's going to fill that void for the ticketing? As long as again, 
as long as these venues are not standing room only, as long as there's seats in the venue, then teams will have to be, you know, continually get creative around product and service to fill these seats. So yeah, it's, uh, it's an exciting time, but I'm really interested to see what happens in the next five years. I think the next five years is going to be a real uh, kind of inflection point for the entire industry. And um, yeah, I'm, you know, buckled in for the ride. Yeah. And I think when you talked about being a global brand and recognizing the um, opportunity that lies there, it's, it's great because you're innovating on tickets and that's awesome because the thing is, it's like a third book for everybody, the club which is about the Premier League. Uh, Richard Scudamore was the Premier League's commissioner. I think he had a different title, president, whatever he was. But he talked about we might be a global brand, but how many people are in the stands is still important because having a game played in front of an empty soundstage is not a good look. you know. And I, and I think you have to look at um, the way that your game presents to your global audience that way. It's... It's yeah, awesome that you're making a lot of money from TV, but if there's if it's an empty stadium, at a certain point, people are going to start tuning out, and they're going to be like, well, nobody cares, so why should I? Even if you think that you're doing all these great things. It's like it's like the opposite of FOMO, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it's like the whole fear of, of uh, Yeah, fear of being there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, when you when I see my friends post, uh, they're, they're in the stadium, and they post, and it's like, you know, just all these empty seats. It's, it's scary. It's scary for me. I think it's probably 10 X more scary for the people working in the, in the front office there. But yeah, you know, millennials really do act on FOMO. You need to create, and that's again, back hat off to the A's for creating an environment where you want to be there. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, We'll see what the next kind of version of this consumer behavior is. When you talk about uh, even there, there is value there, meaning like someone like Netflix, who's made their entire living bringing media and entertainment in home and making it so much more accessible and available. Look at Netflix now reinvesting to get their feature movies back into theaters. There's something about this communal like experience where you have to be there, right? That does translate well to younger consumers. They understand, like, especially in the music space, Dave, like music, music. Let's not even go like to the live experience because you bring up a great point about like getting the movies back into the theaters. Yeah. I don't care at all about Marvel or any of those Marvel comic movies. I've watched them all, almost all on flights, right? So I can't say I don't like them at all. I was in at the first showing of the Avengers Endgame because I didn't want to miss out on the event that yep. was around it. I mean, so like that point is like, I don't want people to miss it, right? I was like somebody who's not emotionally invested in the thing at all. If it was Batman, it would have been different. Not, so I'm not like some non-comic book guy. But I was there because I didn't want to miss it. Now, nobody's talked to me about the movie since then, so I'm totally like, damn it, I wanted people to talk to me about it. But I didn't want to miss it. And that's like a really important point. And, and one of the things that's kind of been like we've been touching on that happens with the ticket, right, and the FOMO, is that millennials 
or just consumers in general, because I, I, I try to avoid like pigeonholing people by a generation because I think it mis- sure. you miss points sometimes like this sure. because everybody is spending more on experiences, right? Everybody's started to uncover that experiences just are way more fun and like have more value to me over time. People want experiences. If we aren't doing a good job of highlighting and selling that and constantly pushing that as the reason to go to a live event, it's on us. That's a marketing failure on our part because people want that. They're spending – it's going to be in the trillions of dollars in 2020 is is the prediction, right? We should be taking a substantial part of that because live concerts, live sporting events, they're the most unique thing, right? You'll never see it again. It doesn't matter what it is. It's always unique. And to not take advantage of that is a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean to not sell on that is a missed opportunity as well, Dave. I mean like – if I look back at my life growing up, some of the be- those best moments were with my family at live sports, you know? So to make that, I, I, and, you know, one of our good friends, Brett Zelaski, he talks about this all the time. So I have to give credit, but our job. Brett, extreme, the, extreme yeah, friend of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Such a great guy and such a, such a, such a smart guy too in the space. I just, we really align with how he sees, you know, where this business is today and where it's going. But, you know, he talks about all the stuff we're talking about here and just like you, you will not ever relive what it's like being there. And look at this, look at this uh, Toronto 76ers game, that shot that happened over the weekend. Can you imagine like, it's so cool seeing that on social media in like a micro splice piece of content, but you will never, that will never compare to the people that were in the venue at that time. So again, when I look back at my life of, you know, some of the best times I've had there with my family at live sports games and just my grandpa, my dad, my uncles, our family being there, being part of the experience. And so again, like Brett, what Brett's saying is it's our, if our job collectively as an industry is to make live entertainment through the sports vehicle, more accessible, more affordable to people, then this entire industry is aligned. And we're also aligned around, we have a common competitor. The in-home experience is getting better. You know, I just spoke at uh, UCLA's uh, Anderson Business School, and there are people there from Fox, there are people there from Disney, and they are really, really good at their job. They're really good at seeing where the consumer is today and where it's going. They have people that are working on this full time, you know, just just looking future-facing on where it's going. And if sports doesn't, you know, align together, to get behind some products, tools, and technology to drive the future of sports forward, then it'll stay fragmented and will continue to compete on a team-by-team basis with you know, a, a behemoth like Netflix or something like Amazon, an entire industry-shifting force that's so good at keeping people on the couch, right? So the, there's alignment there. There's definitely alignment industry-wide, uh, league-wide, and we shouldn't be looking at it as a, a fragmented approach. If we can kind of get together and say, look, if our job is to get people off the couch together, then let's get behind some people, products, technology, services, and really tell a consistent narrative from end to end to the consumer of there's just something that will never be replicated by not being here. Selling on that, marketing on that, I mean, that's really the opportunity. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, you know, I do this stuff because... I start out like you as a fan and I just love it so much. And the fact that more people aren't experiencing it to me is 
is disheartening. Um, you know, because I, I know how awesome it is, right? For the, like the same reasons you pointed out, like you know, some of my greatest experiences are with fan, family, and friends at ball games and concerts, and you know, and like this stuff that just sticks with me forever. Um, Aaron, how can people find you on the internet? Oh yes, yeah, seasonshare.com. Uh, you just go to the app store, uh, either Android or iOS, and um, download our app, Season Share. Uh, we've got 49ers inventory on there today. We'll have Oregon Ducks inventory on there soon. Um, yeah, you can, like, I'm happy to share my email, ah at seasonshare.com. Uh, any thoughts, questions, feedback, or even just a conversation around this stuff, feel free to drop me an email. Um, yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dave. It's uh, This is a conversation that, I think we're both really passionate about. Uh, also, thank you for just putting in the time and energy to run this podcast. I mean, these things take a lot of a lot of time and energy, man. And you <laughs> obviously are quite busy on the side as well. So, you know, I think the industry should give you a quick thank you for doing this. And, um, you know, one of the things I really want to do on this podcast before we uh, when we were chatting before is not just talk about the problems but talk about the opportunities, the solutions, and just how cool of a time it is to be in sports. So, you know, thanks for uh, fostering that discussion. Yeah, no, I, I've learned a, a very valuable lesson. And number, number one, I did not pay Aaron to say all those nice things about me. So, But number two is that people want to do things differently. They want to change. And this is what I learned at Intix. And um, one, sometimes it's just like some of the obstacles or some of the opportunities like they just don't know where to start sometimes it has nothing to do with fear or anything else um is hopefully giving people ideas that will help them take the first step and that's why i mean you offer a solution that's like so simple and so great um that i hope people are willing to take a look at it and maybe investigate using it because i think it's um, a very valuable tool that you know, can be implemented pretty easily. And that's, you know, really where I'm trying to get people to go is like, if I could just do one thing that'll have an impact, what will it be? And, you know, so I encourage people to check out, you know, check out your site, check out the app on the, in the app store, um, you know, connect with you because I think it really can add some tremendous value to people. Thanks so much, Dave. Really appreciate it. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Aaron Holland from Season Share for being on the Business of Fun podcast. Like I said in the introduction, I think you should check this product out. I think it's going to be great. As always, you can find out what I'm up to by visiting me on my website. It's www.davewakeman.com. You'll find my blog. You'll find uh, all kinds of stuff that I'm up to. It's a really great resource, I hope, for everybody. Um, I'm going to do some new interesting things there uh, coming up soon. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, at David Wakeman. Um, considering it's the one-year anniversary of the podcast, I would be remiss if I did not say, if anybody knows the guy with the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, get it for me. I really want it. I need it. Um, if you do like the podcast, if you found something valuable, please take the mom- a moment to share one episode with one friend, one colleague. It helps get the podcast out in front of more people. It helps make sure that more people discover it and that the audience continues to grow. If you're really a big fan, or if you're not a big fan, uh, you know, either way, I need to know. Make sure you um, leave us leave a review, right? iTunes, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, any of those, wherever you can leave a review. And if you want to, subscribe. Any of these efforts. I love them. I appreciate it. And I couldn't do the podcast without you. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect. 
The global leaders in refund protection, they have been tremendous supporters of the Business of Fun podcast. They have been tremendous friends to me, and they are some of the greatest people in the world. On top of that, Booking Protect is truly a revolutionary product when it comes to offering digital customer service to your clients. It is the world's most comprehensive refund protection product, and it allows you to give your customers more of what they desire, which is flexibility, customization, and security. You can find them at their website. That's www.bookingprotect.com. And you can find out all kinds of information about how you can partner with them, use data, um, create new revenue streams, offer better customer service to your customers, right? It's just a great product. Um, while you're there, as I've mentioned many times lately, we are doing more and more and more content on the blog. Right now, there's currently featured at the very, very tip top of the page is an ebook all about delivering customer service in the digital age. Right now, with the editor, we have a new ebook focused on driving revenue and sales through the bottom of the digital sales funnel. That'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. There's a couple of new blog posts on their way, right? We're going to looking at doing some webinars where all kinds of great content about to come up. And you'll find that by going to the Booking Protect blog and making sure you bookmark that thing and check it every day. Um, finally, as always, thank you so much for listening. I couldn't do it without you. I can't believe we've been doing this thing for a year. It's so awesome. And um, here's to another year. Um, I'll see you soon. Take it easy. Thanks again. Oh, my God.